That was beautiful. Hey, real quick before we jump into our, our sermon this morning. Um, next week, just a reminder once again that uh, this service is now will be at 11 instead of 11.15. <clears throat> First service, 9.45. And so for communion, we do communion every other week. Communion will be 9.30. Uh, just just go back 15 minutes. So 9.45, now it's 9.30. And uh, just keep, take it back 15 minutes if you want to be here for communion. Actually, communion just first service, so it's at 9.30. So starting next week, services are 9.45 and 11. All right? What we're trying to do is, is even out the services. First service gets so crowded sometimes, it's getting hard to, to fit in here. And so we're trying to even it out a little bit. So um, I think this service will actually start to, to fill up even more. We're on um, John chapter 20. If you have your Bibles, if you don't, it's not a biggie. We can show it up on the screen. I'm going to read from John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciples, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked at it, the strips of linen, laying there, and did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to raise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over and looked in the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken away my Lord, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary, and she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. While I was in Mexico recently, I was sitting out um, at LDM, which is the building we stay in when we're doing our missions trips. I was sitting out just reading my Bible and just, again, taking in the beauty of everything that's in front of me, these beautiful mountains that we have there. And as I was thinking about it, I saw other people coming out and, and they're sitting down and taking it all in. And, and one interesting thing for me, though, is when we take new people there and they go out and sit there in the morning on the first day and it's a cloudy day, say it's a little bit cloudy, they, they think they're seeing all that that scenery has to offer. But you see, there are actually two mountain ranges There are two mountain ranges, and the one is really beautiful. The first one is really beautiful, and it kind of rises above the the line of trees that are on our property. You sit there, and you see these beautiful mountains. They're all green. It's, It's just gorgeous. But if you just linger a little bit longer, if you just wait a little bit longer, and the clouds 
rise, rise up. You see, there's a second mountain range. And these mountains, they, they, they rise up through the clouds. And when those clouds, they, they separate. And when the sun shines on the mountain, it sparkles like silver. It's incredible. The mountain face has been kind of sheared off. So when that sun hits it, it just lights up. It's gorgeous. It's so majestic. It's so much more majestic and beautiful than the smaller mountains right in front of it. You know, I think sometimes in the same way we read God's word or we we, we you know, we read some scripture. We maybe pray, pray quickly and we we see God's beauty in part. We see it in part but we miss the, maj- the, the majestic beauty of God. We miss what God has to offer us if we just take the time to linger a little bit longer, to, to, be, to be still and to spend time with God, to look deeper. To those who wait on God and, and, and desire to see a little bit more, those who wait with anticipation, those who are willing to be still, see so much more than those who just go in and go out. Say a quick prayer, say do a quick thing, and not linger and spend time with God. See, those who expect to see and experience more have, have a, a, a dynamic experience, have such a more dynamic experience. See, after Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb and, and she finds the tomb to be empty, she goes back to the disciples and says, he, he, he's gone. So Peter and John basically get in a, a, a literally a, a race to the tomb. Uh, John gets there first. It's kind of a guy thing, I would think, even in the Bible, think about it, you know, racing to the tomb. John gets there first, but Peter gets there second. And Peter being Peter, Peter just runs right in and checks it all out. He wants to look at everything around there. And then, so they're both there. They get there. They look at John, you know, John takes a little more time to look in there. They both look in. They realize it says that John recognized and he believed. But then it says that Without any explanation, John says that then the disciples went back to their houses. That's curious to me. It's a bit strange. Wouldn't you want to know more, to see more, to find out where the man, the teacher that you'd spend the last three years following, where he was? Wouldn't you want to linger a little bit longer? I think the next verse, verse 19, kind of gives us a little bit of insight. It says, John says it this way, On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together... With the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Peace be with you. With the doors locked in fear of the Jews. I think that's part of the, kind of gives some insight. They were still afraid. They were still a little overwhelmed. They were just putting the pieces together. John and Peter were stunned. You have to put them again in the right context. These are men. These are not some kind of little demigods or something. They're men. Okay, they follow Jesus, but they're still men. And they were stunned and they were afraid and they were overwhelmed. And they were just putting the pieces back together. Just kind of fitting all the puzzle pieces in place. They didn't realize, they didn't anticipate that Jesus was going to raise from the dead, that he was going to rise. And so they didn't have that in their, in their mindset. So they were still confused and afraid. But Mary, but Mary stayed at the empty tomb. Peter and John leave, but Mary, she stays. She stays. I'm sure she was just as overwhelmed, just as grief-stricken, just as confused, just as afraid 
just as cure, whatever that whatever you want to use. But they leave and she stays. And because she stays, she experiences something that no one else gets to experience. Because she lingers a little bit longer, she experiences something that no one else gets to experience. And I find that to be just absolutely, absolutely fascinating. See, the point I'm trying to make here is that we need to linger. All of us, all of you in this room, all of us need to linger just a little bit longer. We need to spend more time at the empty tomb. We need to spend more time waiting on God if we're going to see his power unleashed in our lives, if we're going to see his power unveiled. I think sometimes we don't wait long enough. We go, we ask, we talk, we communicate with God, but we don't wait. We don't linger long enough to see what's truly going to happen. And I think we need to take the time to linger. I mean, how many of you, think about this, how many of you have been to a Bengals game or a Reds game or a game in the past where you, you, know, you think, ah, oh, this game's over, there's nothing, you know, it's, it's done, they're going to lose, and you get outside the stadium, what do you hear? The roar of the crowd, right? And, it, it's, and yet the fireworks are going off, the crowd is screaming, and you realize, I missed something incredible. Why did I leave? Why did I leave? If I had just lingered a little bit longer, if I would have stayed just a little bit longer, if I would have spent a little more time there to wait and see what was going to happen. And that's what we do with God sometimes. We don't wait. We don't linger. We don't go a little bit deeper. It's a quick, we get there and then we leave and then we kind of go home. We move on, listen, too fast in life. We move on too fast. We need to have spiritual patience. We need to be a little more patient. We need to learn what it means to be still, what it means to to be in God's presence, to wait on him. If you think about it, so many of us don't take the time to live in the moment. We don't experience what God has for us right now. You think about school, you're in high school, and, and when you're in high school at a certain point, you know, you're not, you're not getting the whole experience of now. You're thinking about where you want to go, where you want to be. And in some cases, that's obviously not wrong. But I'm saying you're leaving the realm of where God has you now and the experiences he has for you now, and you're thinking about college and where you're going to go to college and when you're in college, how it's going to be in college. And then you get to college, and then a few, a few years into it, you start to think your mind leaves that experience where you are right now in the moment, and you start thinking about about your career and what you're going to do in your career and what career would you like and where would you like to work and then once you get in your career you're there for a little while and then it's what's my next promotion when am I going to get my next and you're going on and you get that next promotion and the next thing you're knowing you're not satisfied there so you're thinking about retirement when am I going to retire and really get to relax and you never get the time to spend in that moment you don't you don't take advantage of what God has for you in this season of your life we all need to just take a little bit of a break to linger a little bit longer, to experience what God has for us in the moment, in this season of our lives. It's okay to dream of the future, but not at the expense of the moment of where God has you and what God is trying to teach you right now. He has so much for us if we would just take the time to sit at his feet, to linger a little bit longer, to go a little bit deeper, to surround ourselves with him. He has so much more to say to us. You see, if we leave the tomb too soon, we don't properly grieve. We don't mourn. We miss the mourning. 
John later on writes about uh, Mary's experience. And John, John, as he's writing, he talks about how Mary was crying. As a matter of fact, when Peter and John left Mary at the empty tomb, it says that she was weeping. She was, she was mourning. She was grieving over the death of Jesus. And, it, and, and her grief was compounded by the fact that the body was taken. She thought it was taken. It was no longer there. He was missing. And she was not saying, he is risen. She was saying, he is stolen. He is, he's been taken. So it wasn't like, hey, yeah, I was anticipating this. And, and now it happened. Praise the Lord. The stone is rolled away, like we can say, because we know the whole story. She's in the midst of it. And she's saying, he is stolen. You know... It may be different for us this morning, but if we don't linger at the empty tomb long enough, we miss the opportunity, miss the chance to grieve for Jesus. And there's, 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 something, there's something meaningful in that. If we leave the, the tomb, the empty tomb, too quickly, we don't get to grieve for Jesus. You see, if we, if we go too quickly from the empty tomb to the joy of Easter, we are not going to adequately understand this whole event. We're going to miss part of it. We're going to miss the the whole experience of it. See, without crucifixion and death, there is no Easter Sunday. Without crucifixion, without the crucifixion and death of Jesus Christ, there is no celebration of Easter Sunday. Those days are locked together in the promise and purposes of God and can't be separated from one another. The crucifixion and the resurrection are linked. They are linked together as one. So what do I mean by grieving? And why should we grieve? Because, you know, the tomb, the tomb is empty. After all, it's empty. So what, what are we grieving about? See, the tomb may, be, may have been empty that first day. But the two days before, it held the body of Jesus Christ. It contained the body of Christ. And the, a body that Isaiah the prophet prophesied would be marred beyond recognition. Jesus, the Bible tells us, is fully God and fully man. And in his humanity, as he went through this whole experience, now follow me with the whole experience, as he went through this whole experience, his heart was broken by betrayal. His body was bruised and disfigured by the blows of the Roman centurions. His brow, his head, was, was bleeding because of the, the thorn, the thorn of crowns. They, they stuck in, into, his, into his skull. These aren't little thorns off a rose bush. These are thorns. They took that crown of thorns and stuck it on his head. His body, his back was ripped open when they flogged him. Not with some kind of little bullwhip or something, with, thing, with, with metal shards that hit it in bone. And so when they hit it, rips the meat right off your back. His back was open. His hands and his feet were bleeding because they nailed him to the cross. And, and separated from all of that, Jesus Christ on the cross took on every sin that you've ever committed, everything you've ever done wrong, all your regrets, all, all your sins, all your, everything that you would consider wrong, that you've done wrong in your life. From the beginning of history to the end of history, Jesus laid that all upon himself. God put that on his back and he was crucified that we could have forgiveness. But he felt all of that emotionally. He felt all of that spiritually. It's something we can't even comprehend that Jesus went through all of that for us. For us. We need to grieve. 
We need to mourn for the condition of mankind, the sacrificial love of Jesus Christ, and for what it cost him, what our salvation cost him. We need to take the time to truly understand that so we can celebrate We can truly celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ and what that means. Remember when you first saw the how many people saw the Passion of the Christ in the theaters? Remember the Passion? Okay, I remember sitting in in that movie theater, and uh, and when it was when it was when we were going through the whole process, people were were crying. And people, when the movie was over, most people didn't even get up out of their seats. I've seen that twice in my life. Once was the Passion of the Christ, and one was for Saving Private Ryan where people were literally weeping and saving. And the, the passion of the Christ, people, people sat there and they were, all, they were stunned and they were grieving because they were, they were recalling that Jesus did all of that for them. Jesus went through all of that for them. And so there was a grieving process during that whole, that whole experience in that movie. You know, a little side note here. I think that we can apply that principle to other, area of, other areas of our lives. This whole idea of taking the time to grieve and to appreciate. Sometimes in life we go through difficulties. We go through abuse. We go through trauma. Something happened in your life. And what happens is we don't want to deal with it. Some people don't want to deal with it. And so they don't, they don't try to work through it. They don't grieve through the process. I remember in Mexico a few years ago, I was speaking to a young lady. And I'd known her since she was like three or four years old. And we were talking and I was reminiscing with her about what she was like when she was when she was four and five years old. And and she said to me, I don't I don't really remember anything from when I was three, four five years old. And then she said, or seven or nine or eleven, twelve. And we started getting in a more serious conversation. And I and I we talked about the fact that, you know, what was it do you think that keeps you from remembering those things? She says, I'm really afraid to, to find out. I don't. I don't want to find out. I'm afraid. And I explained to her that now is the time to grieve. Now is the time to try to go through that and work through that when you're surrounded by people who love you. When you're in a situation where people can come around you and you can, they can invest in your life. But you need to go through that process. I explained to her, you need to go through it now or the pain or whatever it is will steal your life later on in life. That will steal your time. Take the time now to grieve. Take the time now to linger, to spend time on whatever you need to do now because later on when you're not ready, that's when the enemy will come and that's when the enemy will attack and you won't be prepared and and you'll be in a situation without people around you to encourage you to, to come alongside you, to walk you through it. And you may think, well, I understand that little girl perfectly because I don't remember some things either. But you have to remember this. When you once you go through the grieving process, once you work through it at the end, you have to understand Jesus. When we we grieve for Jesus, we can rejoice because Jesus was raised from the dead. And the power that raised him from the dead lives in you. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, no matter what you've been through in life, no matter how difficult it is, you have the power of the resurrection. You have the Holy Spirit living in you to help you overcome whatever tragedy. Tragedy that was that ever trauma you faced in your life. You have that power living in you. It, it, it's an experience that is yours. 
Alone, you may roll, roll up in a ball somewhere in a corner if you start thinking about some of those things. But with Christ, you can stand. You can overcome it. You're surrounded by people who love you. You can have victory over whatever it is. We need to take the time to grieve, to linger, to take some time to walk through the experiences of life so that we can rejoice when we finally rise up above them and realize that the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in me. And now I have victory over my own, in a sense, death experience, my own personal experiences that cause me such harm. It is something that we can hold on to and rejoice in what Jesus Christ has done for us. See, if we leave the empty tomb, tomb too quickly, we miss the meaning and the purpose of it. Because Mary Magdalene stayed and lingered at the empty tomb, she understood the meaning and purpose of it. It is God's total affirmation of Jesus Christ. It's God's way. It is God's way of responding to death and evil. It's God's total approval of Jesus and his judgment upon the enemy. See, in the crucifixion, the Roman Empire was requested was a request by the by the, the the religious leaders of the time that they would they would take Jesus and they would and they would take care of him they would do him, do away with him and so the roman empire judged him they brought him and they and they and they judged him to be a troublemaker to be a rebel and to be someone who was a threat to the stability of Roman rule. And so they crucified him. They inflicted upon him the most horrible, the most horrible, painful suffering they possibly could in what is called crucifixion. Crucifixion is a way to humiliate people. It's not just a death. They wanted to humiliate people. They wanted, they wanted to send a message to people. They hung people naked on a cross. So they would be mocked and ridiculed and add to their humiliation. And many times they would just leave them on the cross and let the wild animals devour them. It was completely and utterly humiliating. Rome wanted everyone to know if you mess with the empire, you're going to lose. You're going to pay the price. Rome and all the forces of evil came together at that time. They had to kill him. They killed him. In the most horrific, horrible, inhumane, humiliating manner possible. But Paul says, Paul says in scripture, but God raised him from the dead. God raised him from the dead. Just like at Jesus' baptism, the father declared this. This is my son, my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. So the resurrection was God's vindication of Jesus Christ. The enemy came along and they judged him and they put him to death. But God overruled him and brought him back to life. God overruled their judgment and brought Jesus Christ back to life. Without the crucifixion, my friends, there can be no resurrection. The enemy had to kill him. Evil had to have its day. Sin had to do its worst. And all of it, all of it at one time was placed upon him. The burden was upon our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. All the evil of the world, all the sin of the world, everything was unleashed on him. And I'm sure that Pilate, when he, when he passed that judgment, and I'm sure that when the religious leaders saw Jesus Christ being crucified, put to death, they thought to themselves, finally, we're finished with this troublemaker. 
We're not going to have to deal with him anymore. But God had a different idea. God had different plans. God demonstrated that evil may have power, the power to kill, but love has the power to give life. Love has the power to redeem and give life. All evil can do is take life, but love can give life. All sin can do is end life. But God demonstrated that evil may be powerful, but love is more powerful. And because of what God did in God's demonstration of raising Jesus Christ from the dead, we who are his followers can have hope as well that one day we also will be raised from the dead. That we will have that victory. God changed everything. God renewed everything. God demonstrated in the resurrection of Jesus that he opened up a new chapter in human history. A new chapter. The resurrection of the dead. Bringing people to new life. First happened in Jesus Christ. It was started by Jesus. He was the first fruit of all of what we have now. This, this, this meaning of the resurrection, the meaning of the resurrection is that Jesus Christ is alive. Jesus Christ is no longer dead. Death could not contain him. And since Jesus was raised to life again, we have the hope that one day you and I will be raised to life as well. You see, if we leave the empty tomb too quickly, we miss the Messiah. We miss the Messiah. Mary Magdalene stayed at the empty tomb. She stayed there. Her eyes were, were blinded by her tears. And she sees a man in her grief that she thinks, she thinks is the gardener. And so she goes to the gardener and she begins to speak to him. And, and he says, woman, who are you looking for? And her, in her distress, she replies, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Then Jesus identifies himself by calling Mary by name. He says, Mary. Something he said a hundred times, hundreds of times before. He uses her name, Mary. And then she, her eyes are open and she recognizes him right away. She couldn't see it before, but now she can. I don't care if you've come here once or this is your first time ever to church or you've been here a hundred times. There's a difference between religion and relationship. There's a difference between you believing there's some God out there somewhere. How did all this happen? I have no idea. Yeah, I believe there's a God. You know, I don't really know what it is, he is or who he is, or, but I believe there's a God out there somewhere. There's a big difference between believing there's a God out there somewhere and having a personal relationship with the living God. Jesus calls us by name. When we are adopted into his family, he calls us by name. He knows who we are. And what he's saying to each one of us, he's calling us by name. He's saying John or Courtney or Sam or Pete or whatever or Jill. He calls us by name. He wants to know us personally. He wants to hold one hand out to God and one hand to you and bridge the gap between you and God. That's what he did on the cross. His arms are wide open. He wants to embrace you in a personal way, not in some God out there way. Mary recognized Jesus. When did she recognize him? When did she really see him for who he was? It was when he called her, when he called her by name. And all of a sudden, the meaning is clear. The mystery is solved. The story has an ending. Jesus is alive. 
He's alive. See, if we leave the empty tomb too quickly, we miss out on a personal, intimate touch from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We'll miss out on the intimacy and the power of God. We'll just be stuck in this religion, this going through the motions experience that churches sometimes offer. But that's not what Jesus is offering here. He's calling us in a personal, real, personal way. Notice again when she hears him. It's when he calls her name. 2,000 years ago, Mary Magdalene stayed at the empty tomb, showing us that through our tears and through our grief, we can find meaning and purpose and hope in this life. She's grieving. She's overwhelmed. Some of you are grieving. Some of you are going through a really, really difficult time. Some of you are really suffering right now. You're going through horrendous circumstances, whether it's financial, whether it's emotional, whether it's spiritual, whether it's physical, whatever it is. You're going through a really, really difficult time right now. And you say, well, I have prayed a little and, I, and, I've, and I've read a little. But you haven't taken the time to linger and to wait on God's response to your request. You go before God in your heart, and, you, and you're requesting things from your heart, but you're not taking the time to listen to that still, small voice speaking back to your heart. You're not lingering. You're not going any deeper. You're not spending time with Him. You don't have that personal relationship with Him. He has the answers to your problems. He's the one who created you. He's the one who intimately knows what's going on in your life, whether you know him or not. He knows you. He knows every hair on your head. He knows everything you've ever done. He created you. He knows your purpose. He knows the meaning that you, that you need in your life. He has it all. He created you. And we sometimes kind of cry out, and then like Peter and John, we, we go in, we kind of look around, then we leave so quickly. God's saying, whoa, 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 linger. Stay with me a little while. I have some things I need to say, some things I want to show you. I want to show you things you've never seen before. I want to make this religion thing come alive into a relationship. I want to show you what you were created for, what you were created to do. I want to show you what your gifts and talents and abilities are. I want to show you how I can help you overcome that tragedy in your life. I want to help you overcome that trauma. I want to help you overcome that abuse. I want to help you overcome the mistakes you've made. Would you please just stay and linger with me a little longer? Stay at the empty tomb just a little bit longer because when you understand that when you understand that intimacy with god easter takes on a whole new meaning he is risen it means something it's not just another religious holiday easter means something and what it means is when you have a relationship with jesus christ there's nothing you can't overcome there's nothing you can't do in his power you have the power of the risen jesus living in you you need to understand that it's not some religious experience that we went through this morning it's easter let's get up and go to church dress up a little bit and then go out and eat that's not what it's about what it's about is a real person jesus christ fully God, fully man, came down to earth, lived a life here to show you how to live, died on a cross for you, and when you accept him as Lord and Savior, the power of God, the power of Jesus now lives in you, the Holy Spirit now lives in you and speaks to you and will help you overcome anything in your life. He will give you the power to do anything that he has called you or created you to do. You don't have to worry any longer. You don't have to be confused any longer. You don't have to be afraid any longer. You don't have to fear the future. You don't have to fear death because it's all there for you. Easter is so much more than Easter eggs and Easter bunnies. 
It's about a real God who came to earth and died for real people to change real lives in a way that you can't possibly even imagine. And if you haven't experienced that, it's not God's fault. It's yours. We don't go any deeper. We don't linger. We don't experience the intimacy with Jesus Christ. And that's what I want to encourage you to do this morning. I want to encourage you in that way. Close your eyes as, as we close here. Just, just close your eyes and bow your heads. I want to give you a, an opportunity to linger and to meet Jesus in a personal way. I want you to think very carefully through every word that I say in the next two minutes. If you want what I just described, if for the first time in your life you've been coming here and listening, but this morning is different, for the first time in your life you actually heard it, and it made a difference in your heart and your mind, I want you to listen to what Romans 10.9 says, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. You will spend eternity with him. This morning could be your spiritual birthday. Each of us are born twice, hopefully. Once on our physical birthday, and then once on our spiritual birthday. And today, Easter 2012, could be your spiritual birthday. But first, you need to confess that you're not perfect. I don't think anybody has a problem with that that you're a sinner and need a Savior. Can you admit that, that you're a sinner, that you're, you're not perfect and you need a Savior? If you can do that, you've taken the first step. Next, you just need to ask Jesus to not just be the Savior of your life, but the Lord of your life. Lord means that you give Him control. You are no longer in control. You give it over to Him. He's much better at running your life than you are. He created you. He knows you better than you know yourself. Give Him control. Can you do that? If you can, then you've taken the next step. If it's your desire, I want you to pray this prayer with me, just silently in your own mind and your own heart. Jesus, I want you to come into my life. I need what Pastor Jeff was talking about this morning. I want you to come into my life. I believe that you are the risen Lord. Fill me with your spirit. Help me become more like you each and every day. If you prayed that prayer, that simple prayer, for the very first time, I have a gift for you this morning. You just come up after the service and I want to give you this gift. I want to give you a simple gift just to help you in your spiritual journey. Father, there are those here this morning who have given their lives to you for the first time. And there are those here this morning, Lord, who want to rededicate their lives to you, who want to get back on track, who want to start living for you once again. They're your children but they've gone off. And Lord God, you're calling them home. I pray that you would strengthen them, give them an encouragement, give them whatever they need, Lord, to walk the path that you have for them, to find their meaning and purpose in life. And for those who have given their lives to you for the first time, Lord God, we rejoice in this place this morning. Heaven rejoices with us because people have come to know you as their Lord and Savior. Father, we give you this day. We give you our lives. 
We ask that we, would, we ask that we would offer up our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to you. May this be our spiritual act of worship this morning in your presence. In Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Happy Easter. Have a wonderful, wonderful day.